So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Hello. Let's talk about consistency. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, very hard. But is it worth it? Well, um, I mean, consistency, I mean, is the key, isn't it? This interview that we've got coming up, one of the, my key points that uh, Marie was talking about was basically consistency plus patience yeah. equals success. And that's that's the formula. Yeah. And uh, there's, so, so there's two key things there. Firstly, consistency, but secondly, the patience. Mm-hmm. Because as you are consistently creating, you need the patience to stick through the times when no one's paying attention to what yeah. you're creating. I think we're in a society at the moment where everyone wants instant gratification. And I think if I put up three pieces of content that tomorrow I'm going to get a sale, tomorrow something great's going to happen. It has to be a real kind of continuous drive. Like people who are successful have been doing this continuously for years, putting stuff out like every day, like good content every week. So those people who turn up consistently are the ones who win. It's almost like you you become a part of people's lives, isn't it? Yeah. So and don't be forgettable. Like too many people will start a blog, start a YouTube channel, put one thing up and then think, okay, well, two months later, I'll put another thing up or, and then we'll do three the next week. And it's, people have forgot about you. Like every day you see so many pieces of content from so many different people. You need to be there constantly reminding people that you exist and making people care about you enough that when they open their phones or whatever device they're using, you're the person that they want to search for. I mean, the amount of messages that we've had that say, I've just binged all of your episodes. Yeah. And then we get people saying like, when are you going to be making more stuff? And, yeah. And it's like, we live in, I guess it's like a binge culture. Yeah. But if that's what people want, like the market is always the winner. Like, like Yeah. I think if you can create bingeable content, you've got good content. If you've got something that people want to look at once and leave, there's no quality there. It's like, I think of like, I love YouTube and I watch YouTube all the time. And there'll be certain people whose videos go up consistently that I'll be expecting and then get really excited about and I'll go back to and search I'll open the YouTube app and go straight to that person to see that next video that I know will be waiting for me yeah it's actually such a lovely compliment that people say to us that they've binged our stuff it's like oh wow you didn't just listen to one you listen to like not not two like all of them yeah we're not we're not awful then (laughs) yeah yeah and I hate to do that thing that that people say like oh if we can do it then you can do it but it's fucking true, man. We're just two dudes. We yeah. just did a thing. Like We're two dudes with lots of businesses and we're very, very busy, but we've managed to do this. And look, we understand how hard it is. And so if you are out there and we know like feeding the beast and, and keeping consistent with your Instagram and stuff like that, and it's it's the, the way of the world that we're living in. And I know a lot of people have a lot of resistance to that. But if you can fall in love with that process, like you're like Adam is up editing podcasts late into the night mm. and has taught himself editing software and all of audio, the audio, audio software everything you need to do to have a podcast so when we started this we knew nothing about podcasting we didn't know how to interview very well we're still learning and we didn't know audio and we didn't know anything we didn't know like we're currently sat in a studio with a lighting setup and a full like 
set of tech, which before this we had no clue about. Yeah, and it's just a case of because we believed in the mission, that was enough to spur us on and keep us going through the times of, of toughness of like firstly launching, getting people to even notice the podcast yeah. and then convincing guests to come on and scheduling guests and editing and all everything that goes into making it. You can you can look at it in two ways. You can either go, this is hard work, this is boring and I hate it. Yeah. Or you can go, this is hard work, this is boring, but it's lighting me on fire because it's it's helping me fulfill my mission yeah and every dm that we get from you guys every itunes review that we read and thanks a lot because I, I noticed there was a bit of a spike um last couple of weeks and and some of the things you're writing on our itunes are so bloody lovely yeah so it really means so much to us like that we're even just having like a tiny little place in your lives and if we're helping you in any sort of way it's like it's just that's why we're doing it man so yeah thanks and I think the second thing to think about is patience, like to play the long game. It's nothing's going to happen quickly. And I think there's a really good mindset to get in of like, well, if I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life and have that view of like, it's not going to be the next month. I'm not going to do this for the next week. That I'm, is terrifying. I'm going to do Commitment this. Commitment issues. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to do this forever. And having that mindset of like, well, if I'm going to do this forever, I don't need to be an overnight success. It's going to be something that really slowly grows. Yeah, exactly. And there's like the saying of the seeds that you plant today will be the tree you're sat under in five years yeah. time. And that is so true. And we've, we talk a lot about planting flags and people will discover those flags and you never know when. And we've, we've had clients that first discovered our business in like nine years ago when we first started and have come back like within the last couple of months we've yeah. had a client come back and say oh i i did an event and we we looked at when that event was and we were like we just started then and realized that they'd remembered us for nine years and only now are they coming back as a client so obviously you need to plant millions of flags because you can't be waiting nine years for each customer yeah but as you plant those flags like the more things will come back from those and it's uh it's really interesting isn't it the more content that you make it's like each time we put a podcast out now there's more chances for people to, to discover us yeah but there's also more chance for the podcast to grow because people are discovering more episodes. Mm -hmm. If you put out a piece of content every week for the next year, that's only 52 pieces of content you've got there. So after the next 10 years, 520 pieces of content. That's ridiculous that someone could find you from potentially any of those things. It's just, yeah, setting out as many flags as possible so people can't miss you. Let's forget about the, the numbers and the metrics and let's just focus on the quality of the product that we're mm -hmm. putting out. Because firstly, if it's good, people will find it. Yeah. They will. And, and secondly, you only need the right person to see it. It doesn't have to be. So if you're starting your business and, for example, we painted something um, just for fun for the Spider-Man movie yeah. and someone from Sony saw it and got in touch. And I think that video only had like 400 views on it. Yeah. I think now it's boosted up to like 20,000 yeah, views or something, hasn't it? it? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but at the time it was like 400 views and the right person saw it and nothing, like nothing actually came from that opportunity. But... But it could have done. But you the know? conversation and, happened, yeah. yeah, and that wouldn't have happened unless we went and put that flag out there. Yeah, and that is still there for in years' time when another Spider-Man movie comes out, when the sequel comes out, that might get seen again, and that might produce another job, or they might see that and think, well, we didn't work with them this time, but the next one we're going to put out, we might work with them there. And it's yeah, it's setting up all those different things. So I think like consistency and patience are important. But one thing I'd add to that is 
the ability to keep learning because if you can just get a little bit better every time which you will do by getting by being consistent and by being patient like being able to get a little bit better every time you do it you don't have to jump leaps and bounds if you got a little bit better every single day in the next 10 years you're going to be amazing yeah and understand that it's not perfect and And put it out anyway never be perfect yeah put it out anyway that's what we did with the podcast like if you've been listening for any amount of time you will have noticed that we've got better at this yeah was even like now we're having this conversation on this intro and it's flowing there's no kind of stutters edits like we're really good don't say that that. (laughs) brilliant (laughs) keep that in (laughs) (laughs) we're getting so much better and that's just because by doing it consistently, like when we first started this, we were overthinking things. There was a lot of like stutters, real confusion about what to talk about. But now we're just going off on in rambles. A flow. Yeah. Going off on rambles like this one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who make bloody great content and put it out consistently. And uh, a person that has done that is this week's guest. Marie Folio. Yeah. Um, I mean, and literally she's been making content for 20 years. Yeah. So when you look at the position that she's in, multi-million dollar successful business, endorsed by Oprah, um, like like super successful podcast, yeah. massive YouTube series, and people see that and go, oh, wow, that's a huge success. And then you just have to remember that's 20 years of content. Yeah, of 20 built, years. 20 years of content have built up to that to that stage. And it's... Um, and it's like we we were just really inspired by that. Rather yeah. than daunted by it, we were like, well, we're really fucking looking yeah. forward to the next 20 years and going on the same journey that she's been on because we've seen that she's done it, so we know we can do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, super inspiring. Anyway, I digress. Our interview today is with Marie Folio. Marie Folio is an entrepreneur, a life coach, a speaker, a content creator, and a New York Times number one best-selling author. Um, and we talk about the book quite a lot in, in the interview here. Um, you guys know us now. I think we've we've built up enough trust um, with you that we, if we didn't think that this was an excellent book, we wouldn't have Marie on to talk about it. So. Yeah. Uh, as soon as we got Marie confirmed, like I was listening to the book and by chapter four, I had already bought a copy for my girlfriend. It's that good. Yeah, absolutely. Marie worked a number of jobs early on in her career, but nothing felt right to her. She kind of says that she always had this little voice and this little feeling that it wasn't quite right. But rather than getting trapped in a job that she hated, she trusted her gut and started building the life that she wanted. Even as a 23-year-old life coach who, she admits, hadn't actually done anything yet, Marie met problems with an open mind and the belief that everything is figureoutable. In this episode, we really break down some common creative problems and explain how everything really is figureoutable. Even that thing that you're thinking of right now, even that is figureoutable. In this episode, we talk about making an impact, being unique, and stealing from others. If you have something that you believe in, you know, your art, your craft, your product, or your service, and you don't do everything possible to market and sell the heck out of it, you are stealing from those who need you most. to be here and so happy to be with you guys. So our podcast is for the rebels. And I think one thing when I read your book, it, it got across the fact 
everything is figureoutable. It's in the title. Um, and I just think that we as rebels, like creative people are always, they always kind of feel like the outcast, like the misfits. Um, we're always sort of told that, oh, like, oh, that's a bit creative or it's a bit wacky. And we're, we're kind of like, I don't know, it's, there's always that scary thing. And so what I found about the book is that everything is figureoutable. So we meet a lot of resistance being crea creative people, but what came across is like there's a way to figure out your way around those things yes. so what I'd like to ask you first is why did you write the book there's a few answers to that question one of them is the honest truth that this three-word phrase has made such a profound difference in my life from the time I was a child all the way up until today I use that phrase every single day it has helped me in every corner of my life. It has made such a tremendous difference in my career, in my happiness, in my fulfillment, in my health, and everyone that I've had an opportunity to share this idea with and then teach them the philosophy underneath it. They have found themselves more resilient, more creative, more brave, more courageous. And so I felt like in my bones, you know, when I was writing the book, which was struggling to write the book, let's be real, it was a very difficult process for me. I was in a restaurant in New York City and I ran into my friend Toby, who's the CEO of a company called Shopify. And we've known each other for a few years and we're catching up. And he's like, Marie, how are you? What's going on? And what are you working on right now? And I told him about the book and it was in the early stages. And he's like, why are you writing this book? You know, your business is going great. Marie TV, your podcast, all of that is growing. This is a big project. Why are you doing it? Because, you know, writing books is not about the money. Yes. And I said, Toby, here's the truth. If I walked out of this restaurant today and got hit by a bus, this is the one idea that I would want to leave behind because I feel like if I can articulate this right and I can get it in the hands of people, it can dramatically change the trajectory of their lives, probably more so than anything I've created so far. And I'm super proud of what I've created so far. And he was like, well, you promise me that you'll tell people that. He's like, that's like one of the best reasons I've ever heard to write a book. And I was like, it's really the truth. So that's the reason I wanted to write the book. And kind of the creative genesis behind it was for years, we had publishers approaching my agent saying, oh, we want the Marie Forleo book. And some of them were like, you know, we'll write a check. What is it? Let's just get a book out of her. And it's not how I work. I go on my own timeline. You know, you were talking about creative rebels and that that's how I feel like I identify myself because I always feel like I'm going against the grain and not mm -hmm. doing what I'm supposed to be doing in every aspect of my life. And this idea, it almost felt like it was a little seed underground. And even though it's been with me my whole life and I've talked about it before, it needed time to kind of marinate there. And I gave a talk back in 2016 on Oprah stage. Uh, she had an event called Super Soul Sessions. And when her team was like, well, what do you want your talk to be? It's like an 18 minute Oprah talk. The first thing that came to my mind was everything was figure outable. And I knew, I was like, if I can communicate this idea on her stage and tell it in a way that people get, that will be my own internal signal that this is the book you should write. Like not a business book, not something that's, I don't want to say easy for me because every book is a challenge, but this is a big idea. And I found it really, really challenging to communicate about a big universal idea in a very concrete way. I feel like you broke it down really, really well. Like I've listened to and read so many books and this was the first one I feel like 
got all of that into one space. Like each chapter kind of really hits like a different part of everything that people need to hear. And I think, yeah, you did a great job of collating all that. Like, how did you break down what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, it, so great question. And thank you for that feedback, by the way, because for me, the most important piece, like I actually love the creative process of marketing. I think it's an art form in and of itself. And so I was really excited to get there, but I knew the marketing of this book would mean nothing if the actual book itself and the content wasn't the most powerful I could make it. And I was having trouble figuring that out, by the way, which was an awesome meta lesson. I was like, isn't this interesting? I know in my bones that everything is figureoutable and I'm getting my ass kicked by figuring out how to write the book, everything is figureoutable. So the process looked like this. Um, when I was getting ready to write the proposal, I started doing different drafts of potential table of contents. I think I had seven different versions of all the different supporting notions of the thesis that everything is figureoutable. So I went through, you know, what if I did kind of each chapter was like a page or two, and it was almost like a simple entry where if you flip the book open at any moment, yeah. you would read an entry and have a little bit of motivation that would support you in embodying this belief. Tried that on. It didn't feel right. I had another outline that had like 18 chapters, and that almost felt like I was trying to teach everything I've ever learned or yeah. ever discovered, and it was like, no, way too much. <laughs> and then so I kept going through this process of trying on these different tables of contents. I actually floated it out to some friends of mine who I really respect their um, perspective mm -hmm. and their creativity. And we finally got down to this version, which felt like, okay, this was it. But it was not a messy or simple or fast process. And even after I had the initial outline for the proposal, when I got into writing the book itself, it morphed and changed again and got even smaller. So I started off with my proposal having, I think it was like 16 chapters, and the book wound up being 10. It's almost harder to to cut out, isn't it, than than to include? Because, yeah, especially when you've had a career, like 20-year career, yes. you've learned so much over those times, like failures, successes, and everything. And then to, and if this is your your legacy yes. if you're hit by a bus tomorrow that, that by a lovely London bus yes um, <laughs> the, a big bus the, like the one I was on on Sunday the, the, this is what will be left behind you kind of part of you is going to be like I want I want to put everything in yes and the word decide actually means to cut out yes um, in, in Latin which I always think is yeah. like is, is the most interesting thing and the curation process of a book I mean we've talked a lot about writing a book and I know it's going to be that and like you said you don't write it for money I know it's going to be the hardest thing and the hardest thing is going to be what not to include because yeah. I remember right. like, we did a talk at university yeah at university and I remember someone coming to me at the end and asking a question and she was like she was at uni she was a potter and was just about to leave and she asked a question and I was suddenly like oh my god there's so much that I can teach you now and I just rambled at her for like 20 minutes and I was just like there's still so much more like it's yes. so hard to because it's like that's years and years of experience trying to fit that into a few hours of reading or listening. It's like mental. Well, I had a great practice run in terms of the fact that I teach online courses and I also help people with things like yeah. that oftentimes. And I always say you have to really put a container around your particular thesis, your argument, your course. And so one of the things, so we have a program that's called B-School. It's online business school for modern entrepreneurs. And we actually work with tons of artists and creatives. That's how I identify myself. And oftentimes it's like we start off with these huge ideas. We want to throw everything in in the kitchen sink. And if you actually narrow it down and make it simpler and tighter, 
you increase people's chances for success because most of us, especially where we are right now in culture, you know, sometimes looking at a book that's like 400 pages, someone won't pick it up because they don't have the time or the space for that or they're just merely overwhelmed visually. And so I remembered, ah, part of the reason that my courses have been successful is because I actually put boundaries around what I won't teach in them. So this is just a quick example. I was going through a survey the other day and working with a team. We update the program every year and they said, oh, these are the 10 things that people are asking you to teach about. And I said, I'm not touching any of that. Other people can teach that more effectively. This program is this. And, you know, if we wanted to go into those other subjects, that's a whole other thing. And it was the same process for the book. And I would just invite you guys to play with that when you write your own. It's like, what are the least amount of things that I could teach someone in the most compact container as possible that supports a single thesis? So for me, it was like, what do I need to teach people in order to help them embody the belief that everything is outable? What are the, all the obstacles they're going to hit and what's going to help them keep going? And anything that does not need to be included in there isn't making its way in the book. One thing I said to Adam on on the tube over the, on the way over was the thing that hit me about the book was that because I, I don't know what the percentage of how much you actually retain of a book. I think it's like it's supposed to be ten percent. I don't know where they get that arbitrary figure from, but whatever I forget from the book, everyone will remember the title. And so what I found in sort of with in discussions with our business partner is that you just come back to, yeah, but everything's figure outable. And as long as you can just remember the title, yes. then like, n- not to like downplay oh, no, the whole 10 chapters, but. Abs- well, I actually made, when I was struggling to write the book and like crying in the corner going like, it's not good. <laughs> it's too hard. I, you know, there's so much that I want to say. I remember like having this fantasy in my head. I said, I'm going to call my publishers. I'm going to call Penguin Portfolio Random House. And I say, you guys, I have the best idea ever. Let's just have the title on the cover and then give people 200 blank pages. It's so meta. Like all you need is the title. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, yeah, Marie, not really. <laughs> but I get it. And that's that was actually, I think it's an, also an interesting thing to explore too, just the power of titles and of titling because it is true. It's like you get everything in the actual notion that everything is figure outable, but how do you activate this in your life? Yeah, because for me, that was a really nice phrase to describe how I've, approach my whole life like for me I've like no matter what it is I'll just teach myself how to do it so like we started a podcast so I learned how to do audio like engineering and like when I was at uni I did interior design um, interior architecture and everyone else is like hand drawing things and I was like well if I go in and my tutor says can you change this I can be like yes but that's eight hours more drawing whereas I could go and like, spend eight hours learning a 3d design program which no one had even talked about yet which I could just then change a bit print out a new copy and then that saves me loads of time so I've always been someone who just has to learn stuff and has to figure stuff out there's always that kid who like uh VHS thing broke so I'll take it apart to see if I could fix it and like I on the other hand I'm a normal human <laughs> with normal fears and um absolutely did not like I've I've had to really work on myself and getting over the because when when I meet a problem I used to just be like, well, that's it. Well, what are we going to do now? And you sometimes you turn and run the other way rather than looking at how to solve it. And I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is is so many people don't have what Adam has just inbuilt into him somehow of seeing a problem and working out how to overcome it. Most people don't have that. 
I think, first of all, you and my mom would be best friends because yeah. my mom is exactly like how we are, which I'm so grateful that she taught me this lesson and kind of passed on that DNA mm. because I actually question, I'm like, don't people know this stuff? So thank you actually for sharing like, no, not all of us are built <laughs> in this fashion. You know, I'd love to talk to for anyone listening who may be perhaps even skeptical, like really is everything figure outable? Because I had folks that approached me, um, people that respect my work and were just like, I actually don't buy it. I don't think that that's true. And so I'd love just for a quick moment to speak into that. We created three rules around the philosophy that I think really help people use it for its intended purpose, which is to help you create positive change in your life and then by proxy in in the world around you. So the three rules of everything is figure outable are this. All problems or dreams are figure outable. Rule number two, if a problem isn't figure outable, it's not a problem. It's a fact of life like death gravity or laws of nature. And rule number three, you may not care enough to solve a particular problem or reach a particular dream, and that's totally okay. Find something you do care deeply about and go back to rule number one. Because I think, you know, for anyone listening going like, but what about this or what about that? That kind of helps you put things into context and then focus your time and your energy on that which you really care to figure out. Yeah. I think the book does a really good job of destroying excuses because I like to listen to stuff and be skeptical about what people would say to give themselves an excuse. And so many times in the book, I'd be like, hmm, but I know what this person would say to that. And then about a chapter, like four lines later was the the answer to that. I was like, cool, you've nailed that one. And you did a really good job of, yeah, just nailing all the any excuses that people would have. Thank you for saying that. I always try and take the other side of the coin as well. And I think um, having been online and sharing work for 20 years, I actually hear those pushbacks. I noticed it as well, of you you replying to them before they had a chance to (laughs) say it. (laughs) And that's just a training that comes from having an audience and interacting and replying to comments and having people say, but what about, but what about, but what about? And so it was actually a really fun part of the process too, to work through with my team and my editor. To say, okay, well, this is the case we're making. What's the counterpoint? Yeah, now tear this apart. Absolutely. And that's just, I think, really fun from a brain flexing Mm -hmm. point of view to take on different perspectives and to be able to speak into those perspectives. You know, one of the things um, that a friend said to me, he's like, yeah, well, are you saying like addiction is figure outable? Are you saying like depression and anxiety and trauma? And what about a life changing or a life altering diagnosis? Like, you know, that would impact your creative life. That could impact everything. And I said, you know what? I'm actually still standing firmly behind my thesis. When I had shared this idea on Oprah's stage, you know, the podcast came out and a lot more people were exposed to this notion than I could reach in my platform. So we started getting emails from people who heard about the idea and who were already using it to change their life before the book came out. And one woman who wrote to me, her name was Jen. And she said, Marie, I loved your Oprah podcast. I shared it with my mom. She's someone who's tried to teach me this message my whole life. And uh, we both loved it. But then everything changed. And my beautiful mom, who's like my best friend, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And suddenly nothing seemed figure outable. But she said, when I took a step back and looked more deeply, here's what she saw. One, she could figure out how to find foods that her mom could tolerate. Two, she could figure out how to find nursing care for her mom who lived in a rural area. And three, this was the big one. She could figure out how to get medical equipment so that her mom could spend her last days on the planet and, in fact, her last five weeks where she wanted to be, which was in her own home. 
And she said, I can say without hesitation that yes, everything really is figure outable. And thank you so much for sharing the simple phrase that made a big difference to two women living on the other side of the world. They're from New Zealand. And so I just think it's kind of fun to be able to look at the tough stuff Mm -hmm. and to look at the things that people may say, but what about this and what about that? And so we have stories in there of people facing all kinds of tough truths that have used this phrase to find their own sense of strength and resilience to respond to those circumstances. Because wouldn't you rather live your life believing that everything's figure outable than not? I mean, what's the opposite, right? Everything's not figure outable. Yeah, like yeah. I let me just go cry in the corner right now. <laughs> like that's a really sad state. I think also too, you know, we all have so much innate wisdom and so much resourcefulness and ingenuity, but I don't think our educational system does a good job of teaching us that mm-hmm. or training us to go inside and tap into our intuition or to access. I believe that the physical body also has so much wisdom inside and so much creativity. And in our world, typically, not for you guys, because you use your hands a lot, and I'm sure for a lot of folks listening to this now, you do as well. But for anyone, like if you have friends or colleagues or significant others who spend a lot of time just tapping on a computer all day, or looking at screens nonstop, they have lost touch with the wisdom of their body. And I think through movement and through physical activity, so much gets unleashed. And we try and point people to that in the book. Definitely. So I was listening to you the other week, you were um, with Gary Vee, and you said something and he didn't pick up on it. And I was like, Gary, come on, mate. (laughs) Um, You said that in order to figure out how to make change, you first had to work out sales and marketing. And I think this is so relevant for our audience because a lot of them have amazing craft. The craft is not the problem. Um, They're very creative. They have something that they're very good at, but the sales and the marketing is the hard part. How have you figured out sales and marketing? Thank goodness. When I started uh, my business at the ripe old age of 23, which by the way, I was rolling my eyes at myself thinking like, who the hell is going to hire a 23-year-old life coach? This is ridiculous. I haven't lived life yet. I'm like tens of thousands of dollars in debt. I've, you know, kind of tried and failed at like Wall Street and publishing and all these different things. Yet, thankfully, I paid attention to my heart and I was like, this is your path. You got to keep going. So in my coach training, it was a three-year program that I went through. It was about the craft meaning about the ability to help people create change in their lives and learning how to do what I now do um, and building up that skill set. But simultaneously, they emphasized the importance of sales and marketing and running a business. And they said, you will never be able to impact people successfully as a coach, no matter how great you are at what you do, if you don't also get this piece. And my dad was a small business owner. So I grew up understanding how to create a customer experience. It was in the printing world. And um, just saw him, you know, we would go in nights and weekends and do whatever we had to do to get the job done and to make people happy and to keep building that business. And so when I was starting my coaching business, I realized early on that if I don't understand and master my ability to sell and market what I'm up to, I can't provide for myself. And I was already bartending and waiting tables to keep a roof over my head. And I hoped that one day I'd be able to get good enough that I wouldn't have to do that anymore. And it's nothing against those because for some people, that is that is their creative artistic expression. That's awesome. I just knew for me, this was my world that I wanted to get to. And when I started to study business, just like how you like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. I guess I need to understand audio yeah. engineering for me. I was like, oh, I guess I need to understand entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I started going and studying everything about business that I could, which included sales and marketing. And I realized very quickly that they were kind of a different, it was a different world out there. I realized, first of all, that so many creatives pull back from sales and marketing because they have an outdated understanding of what it is. They think it, you have to be aggressive, 
that you have to be manipulative, that you have to be dishonest, that you have to convince people to do something that they don't want to do and somehow you're going to like take their money. And if you make money, they're going to somehow have less. There's like a lot of scarcity. There's a lot of zero sumness going on. And I also saw the more that I built my ability to communicate effectively, that I understood copywriting, that I understood digital marketing, I watched my business grow. But it wasn't just about the financial numbers for me. I watched the impact I could make, and I got addicted to that. And I saw that the better I got at sales and marketing, everything got better. That's actually why B-School started, because there was a certain point in my career I'd been doing what I was doing for about five or six years. I was also simultaneously um, teaching dance and fitness, and so I had a simul career over there, and I was still bartending and waiting tables. And people kept asking me, like, how are you doing what you're doing? Kind of similar to what you guys shared with me before we started recording, how you started getting all of these questions from people about the creative journey. I started getting questions from people about how is this business working? How are you selling out dance workshops? Um, you have this coaching practice. You're doing all these cool things. And I would say, because I get sales and marketing, because I'm doing an email you know, newsletter every week. I'm creating content. I understand how to write good headlines. I understand how to make an offer. I understand how to close an offer, all these things. And they almost looked at me like I had nine heads. Then I would go to business conferences. Um, and the landscape at that time was this. It was 99.9% men on the stage. And the places that I went, most of the people that were talking about small business, they would basically look at customers like they were nothing more than numbers on the bottom of a balance sheet. It was kind of small business education was devoid of values and integrity and creativity and the aesthetics of what the education was. So I took a step back and said to myself, I think there's a huge opportunity here to teach creatives about sales and marketing and like a new version of it, what I call modern marketing, where the best of your humanity comes out not the worst, so that you can sell and market whatever your craft is, whatever you believe in, have it be really effective, meaning that you make money, but more importantly, you're proud of how you do it so that people on the other side of your sales and marketing campaigns feel your generosity. They feel your personality. They feel your spirit. They feel uplifted by what you're sharing with them, even if they don't become a customer. And so that's what we strive to teach people in B-School, and it's everything. Yeah, it's so important. You can't make change. If you can't put a roof over your head, then you can't change the world. So you have to sort that out first. Yeah. And I think it, this is what I always try and emphasize to people when I'm talking about this subject. If you have something that you believe in, you know, your art, your craft, your product or your service, and you don't do everything possible to market and sell the heck out of it, you are stealing from those who need you most because you have something that you and only you are here to give the planet, right? There's never been, there never will be another person just like you with your unique perspective and gifts and talents and the amalgamation of you. Your DNA is unique. And by holding back and going like, well, I'm not good enough or I don't want to be a pain or I don't want to be a bother. Or, I don't want to be a pest. It's like there are people that want your products and services and you're literally detracting from the quality of life by not putting yourself out there. I love that. And it's some, I guess it's something that I've, I've struggled with because now I mean, everyone that listens to this podcast, we say to them, the only reason that you're listening to this is right now, dear listener, is because of sales and marketing. Yes. We we convinced you that this was going to help you. And so you listened and then you told your friends and then that's how it, how it grew. But for me now, I know that I'm in a position where I can help a bunch of people. Adam's the same. But what do you say to that person who, because I used to say it to myself, what do you say to that person that says, yeah, but not me though? No one really wants to hear me because it's because it's me. So all of us, there is a universal fear 
that we human beings share of not being good enough, right? Not being qualified enough, not being special enough, not having what it takes to really make that impact on another person. And there's a reason I have ended every single Murray TV with this since we started the show. Uh, It's this statement. The world needs that special gift that only you have. And it comes back to what we were just talking about. You know, whether you believe in God or no God or Smurf fairies or some form of higher (laughs) intelligence, you know, there are no extra people on this planet. And so to really understand that your DNA truly is unique. I mean, I was doing the research on this because I knew people were like, no, well, what about twins? I was like, no, actually, they have (laughs) discovered that there are minor things in there that even for identical twins, you have never been here before and you will never be there again. And I would encourage that person who maybe has that similar thought to think about a teacher or a friend or someone. It doesn't even have to be someone who's famous or well-known or ultra successful. Has someone ever made an impact on you by what they've shared? by their creative expression, by a meal that they've cooked or something that you've picked up in a store that gave you delight or wonder and you're like, oh my goodness, it opened up a possibility for you. I would say that you have to, at least for just this moment, trust me in understanding that the world really does need that special gift that only you have. And if you don't do everything to share it, you really are stealing from those who need you most. I think as well, when you, like a lot of those people think, well, I'm not an expert in that. And that's so like, I'm not going to do it because I'm not the best person in the world yeah. but there's a good chance you know something about something more than someone else so all you have to do is if I read a book I can then tell someone one fact from that book and then that's helping them so I think if you spend your time like consuming stuff like breaking it down and then sharing it with other people it's such a nice thing to do. Yeah. And I've always taken this stance too, because I, you know, I, I exist in a strange space in that personal development, the world of business development, understandably people can think that, you know, everyone's a used car salesman or they're selling some snake oil or whatever. And here's how I always have positioned myself. I am not a sage on the stage. I am a guide on the side. So all the things that I talk about, I actually use them every single day. And I try really hard and I hope I've accomplished this in the book of sharing about my own struggles and how these similar, these principles and these strategies help me continue to grow as a human being. So I think for anyone listening, going like, I'm not an expert yet. I'm like, look, I don't pretend to know everything at all. I just love learning. I'm a lifelong student and I love sharing about what I've learned to your point. So you do not, I, I think- in our culture right now, we don't want people who come across as the all-knowing expert. That can actually seem quite pompous and it's a put-off. So being your real, genuine self with all of your flaws, I think is an advantage. Yeah. And I think like even just asking your friends of like, what, how would you describe me? Like, what am I the best at? Because if I said to my friends, I'd be like, well, well, like every amount of people who message me about what camera shall I buy? Like I get those messages all the time because I do portrait photography too. And it's just, I'm known as the expert at that. But like compared to people who are like full-time pros I know nothing yes but yeah you're the expert within your friendship group so it's comparison as well isn't it I think and and especially with social media we've got we're presented with the best in in their field so for us we've only been doing a podcast since January and we're still learning and interviewing is still terrifying to us (laughs) um right now you're really good at it (laughs) thanks but like right now we're shitting ourselves like it's it's just we're but we know we're on a journey but then when we consume Gary Vee, Joe Rogan, Emma Gannon, when we listen to the the best in their field, then we go, oh, we're rubbish. But we listen to our audience who go, this really helped me. Or when you said this, it unlocked me. And that's that's what keeps us going. And just being on that journey and knowing that 
we're 40 odd episodes in but like after 100 episodes we'll be better and then after a thousand episodes we'll be incredible and just like love being on that journey and knowing that we're improving and always getting better and it's just it's so fun it's so invigorating i think you hit upon something big there that we should highlight is comparison is creative kryptonite Mm -hmm. you know when i was in college uh there was this drink i don't know if you guys had it here but it was um called goldschlager did you guys have this liqueur so it's clear and it's got these gold gold flakes inside and it's got like a cinnamon flavor so i remember being in college and it was like one of those things where you party and you do shots of goldschlager and i remember one particular night leaving that bar and just throwing up in the in the bushes like you know five times and of course now if I ever smell anything with that strong cinnamon smell Makes I can back. Well, yeah, totally do I my face I don't know if this is an green. urban myth but what I heard was that the pieces of gold make small cuts inside so that the alcohol gets into your bloodstream faster Whoa. now that could be bullshit that's an urban myth I've heard too is it okay we're yeah. going to do some research on that but here's the here's the what's what when it has and it relates to comparison when you compare yourself to other people it's like doing shots of compare schlager you get just as sick. And usually for like a day or two or maybe even three, you're off your game. You're hungover. You're not in your own zone feeling good. You're making something that is in response to the person you're comparing yourself to. So you're either going to absorb some of their energy and try and emulate them, or you're going to try and go in a different direction. But you're going to be off of your genuine path when you're in that comparison zone. If you create at all, most people, when they do shots of compare schlager, they're done. They're like, what's the use? So-and-so has done it already. They've already achieved it. They have the audience. And all of this roots back to scarcity thinking, thinking that there's only one place or a limited number of spots for people to succeed. And that is some of the most toxic bullshit when it comes to creativity ever. It's also toxic when it comes to money and resources and love and some of the most precious things we have in our life. Scarcity is the root of a lot of evils. And the truth is there's more than enough to go around. There's more than enough audience. There's more than enough opportunity. There's more than enough financial resources. That's a topic for another day. But I think that really catching yourself before you do shots of compare schlager is essential. One of my favorite thing about podcasting is that there is no competition and it seems to be the one industry that's kind of figured it out is that we can all get on here. Yes. We can, like, and you'll come on my show and I'll come on your show and every, everyone is so supportive and it's just such a lovely, maybe it will change when all the money and the big companies come in or whatever, but right now it's just, it's such a lovely space to be in and I think the creative industries could be more like that, but we're all so scared that if I, if I don't take this opportunity, then I, you get a lot of people that they they'll take it just because it's been offered, even if they're not the best person for the job. Yes. And really, you might know the best person for the job. And it's actually much better for your career to put that person onto this opportunity mm. than it is to just try and blag your way through it yourself. Well, it takes a lot of courage. I think that also just takes an abundance mindset of really being rooted in the fact that there's more than enough to go around. And also, I think being true to yourself. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is understanding the difference between fear and intuition. And I think that when you're afraid there's not going to be enough opportunity and someone presents you with something that sounds good on paper, you almost feel like you have to grab it because you don't either want someone else to get it or you think that it's going to help move you ahead in a way. But something inside is telling you, this isn't for you, or maybe it's not going to be a fulfilling creative experience. I've had this question a lot, especially when it comes to creative opportunities being presented to you. It could be a new client. It could be a new job. It could be a speaking engagement. Um, Who knows what it could be? So, you know, how do we know the difference between normal, healthy fear 
that we should move through because it's going to help us gain skills, become more experienced, be more expansive in our capacity versus our intuition saying, you know what, don't say yes to that. That's going to be a really shitty, toxic experience or for whatever reason, it's not for you. And so I'd love to offer people this exercise. It has worked for me my entire career. I still use it to this day. Here's how it works. When you're faced with an opportunity and you can't tell whether or not this is normal fear and you just need to dive in and say yes or your intuition trying to steer you the other way, do this. Get really quiet. Close your eyes. You need to tap into your physical body. That's where you're going to hear the answer to this. And ask yourself, does the idea of saying yes to this opportunity make me feel expansive or contracted? So let's talk about what happens because in the nanosecond after you ask yourself that question, I promise you, your body will have a visceral response. Something will happen. So in an expansive response may seem like your chest just opens up or lightens up, your shoulders relax, maybe your body moves forward in space. Even if it sounds a little scary or intimidating, some part of this feels joyful. You just want to move ahead. Now, by contrast, a contracted response can feel like a pit in your belly or a sense of dread or something actually pulling back in space. Or if your eyes are closed, maybe your head is shaking no ever so gently, but you're having a physical negative reaction, however that manifests for you. And I will tell you, it is one of the best ways to help keep yourself on your own path using your own internal compass, not external measures of success, which can often lead us down the wrong path because you're paying attention to your head or to your ego, which I don't know if you guys have ever made that mistake. Something sounds good on paper or there's a lot of money or it's prestige. And then you get into it and you're like, I should have never done this, right? Like this is like not a joyful experience. So I would just offer that for people as you continue to move ahead in your creative journeys to help yourself really find the opportunities that are going to be the best fit. Yeah, we've we've always said, specifically when it comes to clients, sometimes, and it's very rare because I love our clients and we've yeah. worked with some amazing people over the years, but sometimes you get that email and it feels a little bit off. One thing you said in the book that I really loved is that everything in your life is based on your beliefs um, and your beliefs will either help you or harm you. And how do we get over if we have the beliefs that are harming us? Yes. How do we, and, and I suppose being in a uh, scarcity mindset is one of those. Yes. How do we build the abundance mindset? How do we get out of the, the thoughts that are harming us? So one is to understand the baseline about beliefs is that all beliefs are a choice and choices can be changed. So to take it back to an example that many of us have had, you know, as a child, did you guys believe in Santa? Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. Most many of us have, and so I did as well. And so to understand what, what how Adrian did. D- uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler oh, alert. Um, so I remember how real that was for me. I mean, that was reality. And then when that reality got shifted, all of a sudden the belief, right? You saw another possibility and then the whole reality shifted and you now have a new belief. And most of us, there are things that we've believed years ago that we no longer believe now. So that is just proof positive that whatever is in your mind at this moment, if it is a negative or limiting or small-minded belief that you have the power to change. So that's our baseline context. How you actually do it is one, the awareness that that limiting belief exists. And two, you start looking for proof on the other side. You start looking for, oh, well, you know, there's not enough opportunity to go around or there's not enough money in the world or whatever it is. I'm not going to be able to make a living as a graffiti artist. 
Well, all of a sudden, we have you two gentlemen here who are proving otherwise. So what I've always done in my life is to look for what's the opposite of that limiting belief and start gathering as much evidence as possible. When it came to um, scarcity and specifically around financial resources, I remember knowing in my heart that there was more than enough to go around. It was almost like a soul truth that I knew deep, deep, deep down. But my reality at that time was not reflective of that. So I would open my checkbook and be terrified that there wasn't enough money to make the rent every month. So there was this conflict. What I know to be true in my soul versus what my reality is in this moment. And I thought to myself, the way that I'm going to get my inner deep reality about there's more than enough to go around to match my external reality was I need to start behaving my way into the reality I know that's true. Here's what that looked like for me. At the time, I was um, doing a group coaching program. It was pretty early in my career. And I'd always wanted my business to make a difference beyond just profit for me. I'd never really wanted to be successful just because I want to own a ton of stuff or shoes. I'm not, that's not my bag. I always wanted to help make a difference to other people. So I made myself a promise. I said, okay, my checkbook is really tiny right now. I'm about to market and sell this new coaching program. Even though this sounds wild, I'm going to give away 10% of whatever I make to some charity. I didn't even know the charity, but I just said I have to make this declaration, this promise, because I need to start breaking this reality of scarcity in my own life. So I worked my buns off, sold a bunch of people into this coaching program. I was really proud. And at the end of it, there was about seven or $8,000 that was for a charity, some charity. First of all, that was more money than I'd ever seen. Second of all, it was still intimidating to think I was going to give that away, but I did it, and I did it for an organization. Um, UN was launching this initiative called Girl Up, and it was all about supporting um, young girls all around the world who get denied access to education. They invited me to their inaugural event. I said, can I bring a big check? Because I just thought delivering <laughs> a cheesy check was like some like a fun dream come yeah. true. So I did that. I got up on stage. I presented them this check with like six or seven thousand dollars, and then something really interesting happened. I stepped off the stage, and a woman approached me, and she's like, who are are you? Tell me about your work. Tell me about what you do. And I responded and she said, you know, my name is Priya and I work with Richard Branson and we've been looking for young entrepreneurs like you. We're doing a trip to South Africa. We would love to invite you to come and spend time with Richard Branson and mentor other entrepreneurs. And you guys, I mean, he's been one of my idols for ever. And it just made me start jumping up and down. And it was such a pivotal moment. I was like, isn't this interesting? When I started behaving in line with what I knew to be true in my bones, it actually started shifting my external reality. So sometimes you have to act before you think. And what I mean by that is I needed to act in alignment with my understanding of the universe that there was more than enough to go around before my thoughts that I don't have enough stopped me. And you wouldn't have met your husband either if you hadn't have... Uh... Oh, I mean, so many things. There was a, that was a story we talk about in the book where, you know, there's always educational opportunities. And again, I'm, I'm a lifelong student, so I love learning. I love reading books. I love going to conferences and being exposed to new ideas. And early in the business... I remember people would invite me to events and I was like, I can't go because I can't afford that. I can't afford the plane ticket. I can't afford the conference ticket. It's just out of my realm. And there was this one opportunity that presented itself to do the spiritual retreat in Chile in South America. And there was something different about it. And I don't know how to explain this. And it wasn't outrageously expensive. It was about 
$4,000, which is still a considerable amount of money. But at that time, I was like tens of thousands of dollars in debt. There was no way I could afford to go on this trip. But I kept looking at this postcard and something inside was saying, you've got to be there. You've got to be there. You've got, and I was like, what is going on? This is weird. So I went to the organizers and I basically sold and marketed them. I said, hey, (laughs) I have to be here and I cannot meet the kind of deposit requirement that you have, but you have my word that I will not let you down. It may take me a year to pay off this whole thing, but I give you my word I will do it and I will I never break my word. And thankfully they allowed me to do my own individual little payment plan. And that trip was where basically Josh and I got together. We've been together for 16 years. And it's like one of the most profound experiences of listening to my intuition and going beyond my own I don't have enough right now or I can't afford it and having, you know, the man I love, our relationship formed out of that. I think the really important thing to note there is, though, that you were still working your ass off to make that happen. Oh, yes. It was a stretch and a half. I mean, you know, once they said yes to my special payment plan, I picked up like three other side jobs. You know, I was already bartending and waiting tables. I was like, does anyone need a personal assistant? I will clean your toilets. I will do whatever it takes. So I was working nonstop to keep up on that commitment. But it also made me feel really empowered. I think there's something beautiful when we stretch ourselves outside our comfort zone because we want something so bad and we're willing to work our buns off to make it happen, I think you see how capable you really are. What do you say to people who say you're an overnight success? Oh my goodness, I've been working for 20 years. Just (laughs) use the Google and see the early videos (laughs) and see the blog. I would say... I don't um, think there is such a thing as an overnight success, is there? There's not. Uh, Not that I've noticed, by the way. And interesting, someone... Sometimes people can create narratives for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like a positioning tool where they say, oh, I've launched this thing and in six months I'm crossing six figures or who knows like how. But then when you peel back into the story, you actually realize that they had quite a bit of a career where they gained all of these skills or these relationships or they've done a lot of development early on. And then perhaps they have a pivot and then they see some growth, but it's not like they came out of the gate like that. So I don't believe in overnight successes. First of all, I don't think you can handle it. Like for someone to go from zero to a thousand overnight, you don't have the inner capacity, the resilience, the team, the understanding of how to navigate really tricky situations to be able to sustain success. And so for me, I think of myself actually more like a turtle. Like I think I'm quite slow and I don't mind it. You know, I had side gigs for seven years, meaning I was bartending and waiting tables seven years before I felt confident enough financially and emotionally to go all in on my online business. And then after that, so seven minus 20, it's been 13 years at this stage in my business. And, you know, the last time I came out with a book was in the early 2000s. So, do you know what I mean? There's like yeah. a lot of history that sometimes if someone just learned about me, maybe they might be like, oh, where'd she come from? But again, you just have to Google a little bit and you'll see. What do you think gave you the confidence to go full-time into what you were doing now? So to transition from yeah, all yeah, the, yeah. so it was a combination of things. So I'm pretty risk averse, mm-hmm. at least in that point in my career, from a financial perspective, I didn't want to be a desperate life coach. Like, I don't think there can be anything more pathetic than like needing you <laughs> to pay me to help you improve your yeah. life. Like that just doesn't feel right to me. So I was happy to have other money coming in from other gigs so that I could just continue to build my skill set and build my confidence from a really authentic place. But what transitioned it was hitting a place where I felt like I was starting to be stretched too thin. So I had a career that was starting to 
go new places in terms of dance and fitness. I was a Nike elite athlete. I was starting to do more fitness videos and I was starting to get invites to teach at bigger and bigger fitness conferences around the world. And my coaching and training business was also starting to take off. And um, from a bartending and waiting tables position, the, the places I worked were just getting busier and busier. So there were like more shifts and more demands. And so I finally got to a position where I was super stretched. Also, um, Josh and I had been together for a few years. He was starting to book even more movies and TV shows and would often be like, hey, um, you know, you should come with me and I'd want to be with him. But I was teaching all these hip hop classes in New York and I just was feeling crunched and landlocked. So. I came to a crossroads and I said, how do I want this next stage of my life to go? Like, what does success look like for me for the next, like, maybe 10 or 15 years? And I imagined myself into the future focusing solely on dance and fitness. And I tried to imagine myself in my 50s, still teaching fitness, still teaching dance. What does that feel like in my bones? And everything felt wrong about it. I just didn't want to do it. To reach the type of financial goals that I had for myself, I imagined I'd probably have to figure out some contraption to sell like a thigh master or something. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And like sell it on QVC or whatever. And that didn't feel right. And then when I thought about the longevity of a potential career in sharing my ideas and teaching and training, I almost could see myself in my nineties still doing it. And Mm -hmm. everything felt alive. There was freedom in terms of location, freedom. There was scale, the ability to really make a difference in so many people's lives just through ideas and creativity. And in my body, it felt right. So then when I looked at my bank account and I looked at how the coaching was going, I realized, I said, you know what, while it's nothing is guaranteed, I feel like if I put all of my focus in this direction, I could knock it out of the park. Because again, I'd been coaching for like seven years at that point. And so at that moment, I was like, I'm ready to cut everything loose. So I stopped teaching dance and fitness. I let go of the other side gigs and I went all in. It was terrifying. I'm not going to lie. I was not confident doing that, but it felt like the right time. And how long after you made that transition did you feel fully comfortable kind of monetary? Like, I'll tell you, I think because I had taken my time for so long with all the different things that once I had full focus there, it started growing pretty quickly. I would say within two or three years, I was like, damn, like it was, it was good. But it, I don't think I could have done that at year one. Yeah. It was because I had so much experience. I think the two or three year thing is interesting as well, because a lot of people think that if I quit in six months, I'll be completely fine and I'll have my wage. Like it's a long grind. That's right. And we found like three years is quite a magic number. A lot of people have been at that same stage of you sacrifice for three years and then it kind of kicks in. Like I like to think of it like university in England where you go and you pay for a course, you do it in advance, you've got no money for three months, you have a hell of a time, you work hard, but at the end of it, you've got something out of it. Yes. Yeah, no, I think there is something magic about those three years because I'm, I'm thinking about B-schoolers right now who mm. their stories of they start with no business idea. They come through the program. They're trying things. They're experimenting. They're failing. It's not working. One student, um, she had wrote to us, and it, essentially after one year, she was ready to throw in the towel. Understandably, she had tried so many things and the money wasn't coming in. Yeah. And we helped her retool. The community helped her. And by year three, I'm so proud of her. She had like tripled her initial goal. She sent us this email. It was so far beyond what she could have imagined three years prior, but she would have never got there if she gave up after six months or a year. I think that patience is one of the most underrated qualities for creatives and entrepreneurs. Again, I feel like I'm just starting and I'm 20 years into my career. Yeah. We always say the people who keep going are the ones that will win because most people quit. 
Yes. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yes. It's really hard. It's really hard. And you know, success comes from what you do consistently, not what you do occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I think consistency along with patience is probably one of the other quote unquote secrets to success. Like I've been creating content consistently for 20 years, you know, and I, I mean, there's other people that blow me out of the water with views or whatever. And I'm fine with that because I really love my business. I love my audience. We're continuing to grow and we continue to say yes to new projects that light us up. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your content. You show there's lots of different sides of you and you're yes. not and you're not afraid to to show them. So Marie TV we get we get kind of a different version of you because we get all of the advice but kind of with the fun side as well. Yes. Is that uh, is that to kind of help the advice easier flow into the mainstream? Is it like you can help more people if they can relate to it more because there's yeah. the silliness that will kind of bring them in. Can I just be really honest with you? I would be bored out of my friggin' brains yeah. if it wasn't. So it's <laughs> like I'm less strategic in that sense. Like it's almost in retrospect and in hindsight, I see because people tell me that they actually learn and they're excited to watch because they almost, they know they're going to probably laugh if it's a topic that we can find some mm-hmm. humor in. And sometimes there's not, but it's how my mind works. And so I've always wanted to create in ways and my humor and my creativity is such that it's weird and offbeat. And to be able to bring that to life for me, it's what keeps it satisfying and interesting. So I almost don't give a shit whether or not people like it because it brings me so much joy. Does that make any kind of sense? That makes perfect sense. And it's almost interesting, too, because... On Instagram, we've been having a lot of fun lately. Some people who are relatively new to my work, they don't know how much I love to dance and they don't know what a big part music and movement is to my life. And I actually saw a comment this morning. She's like, oh my God, you always seem so buttoned up on Marie TV. I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, what are you talking about? But you know, God bless. And so I think it's interesting to see how people kind of slot you into certain things. Yeah, I suppose that's when you're producing content you don't know how people are going to take it that's right and yeah everyone's coming from a from a different place aren't completely because I, I watched one of your videos a while back where there was a young girl I think she's maybe 15 and she was saying I feel like I'm worthless I don't feel like yes. I'm I'm Aja. Des- I'm deserving of love yeah yes. yeah Aja and I was like there's no way there's going to be any comedy in here and you did you did like a dance and you did the little song but it it fit and it worked really well and I mean, I'd imagine it probably made her day. She has kept writing to us, which Amazing. is awesome. And her mom's written to us too. Um, just continuing to keep us updated on our growth. And so many people love that particular video. They're like, I feel like I'm Aja, like a 15-year-old yeah. girl. And so many of us, I mean, all of us, I think at times struggle with not feeling worthy or seen or that there's anything special about us. And I honestly think that almost any topic, we can bring a sense of lightheartedness to it and perhaps a sense of joy and humor. Because look, we're all on the same train heading to the same destination, death, right? That's the truth. That's like one of the things that we know is going to happen for all of us, pretty much. And so everything in between, we're definitely going to have pain. We're definitely going to have sadness. We're definitely going to have these really rough moments. But at the end of the day, I feel like we want to be able to look back and and feel that lightness and that joy and that connection to one another. And I think that there's so much healing in humor. And there's, so, you know, you change your perspective instantly. And we try, you know, we're probably not always successful, but we strive to inject humor with a, a sense of respect and to be able to balance it in such a way where I'm never making fun of anyone else. I'm more poking yeah, fun at yeah. myself. And then usually when people smile or they have a chuckle, they also see things from a different point of view. And again, 
all of this I'm learning in retrospect. This is just how my strange mind works. So yeah, we, we have a good time with it. Do you ever make a piece of content and you know before it goes out, you're like, yeah, this is this is going to bang. You know what? This is what's been interesting. Some of the shit that we've done that we enjoy the most like it doesn't really get that much traction it's and funny, then isn't it? and then other times stuff that we're like oh, okay great. like <laughs> we're absolutely did our best we're proud but we'd be like oh my god that's the best thing ever sometimes so i think instagram is different for me marie tv is definitely sometimes we're like oh my god we think this is so funny and people are like yeah um on instagram <laughs> there's times though that some of the recent stuff we've done we're like we want to watch that 600 times and the the views also reflect it is that because you've watched it 600 times no i it's just like uh it's honestly, it's it's sometimes it's the music choice and it's the cutting and if the, the loop is right and all that good stuff. What I always say to people is published is better than perfect. Yeah. Because I think we can spend so long just just editing it and, oh, I've, I've my head looks fat in that and just, just just changing things when really you've just you've just got to let it go into the world. And I mean, especially when we're mentoring younger artists. It's, it's so funny. You'll go through their sketchbook and I think this applies in life. You'll go through their sketchbook and you'll see a page and you'll go, that is amazing. And the artist will go, that page? But And then they, they start flipping on and they're like, no, 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 look, look at this yeah, one. Yeah. And then you flip back and you go, no, no, this one. Because you never know where the audience is coming from. And so if you don't put it out, because for that for that artist, they won't put that page out because yep. to them, they don't think it's going to reach anyone. Yep. But that's the page that resonated with me. So it's like whatever your whatever your content is, just just put it out because you're the, the right people will find it. Oh, yeah. I call it the Saturday Night Live rule. So I don't know. You guys are familiar with the American yeah. show Saturday Night Live. And it's one of my favorite shows. And it's just like they consistently create a ton of sketches. Now, do all of their sketches hit? No. Some of them just don't work. But when you create and publish consistently, which yeah. is like what we've done with Marie TV, I think consistency beats everything. Again, it's one of those underpinnings. If people are looking for any secret to success, the consistency, like I tell people essentially, if you don't hear from me on a Tuesday, I'm probably dead. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like if you're not getting an email from me, you should really check the news and my feeds to make sure that I'm not like pushing daisies right now because we will publish no matter what. There's like two times a year when um, my company goes dark that we just give permission for everyone to be off at the same time and it's been transformative for our business. But like outside of that, if you don't hear from me on Tuesday, shit is wrong. That's because we're published to, com to we're committed to publishing no matter what. And I think that it's just a great creative habit to get yourself in. I think also you can learn so much from, by putting out all the content. Yeah. You can then see what does well and then do more of that and find out what your audience are actually into. I feel like too many people don't really think about their audience. And they just think, well, this is what I want to do. Whereas it's so important to be able to look at who you're helping. If you can put something out and that helps a shit ton of people, yep. then do more of that because that's going to help more people. Absolutely. And also just the questions that usually pop up around content. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember have, from having so many Marie TV episodes and podcasts, people often ask questions in the comments underneath or, you know, on a social post. That's how one of our best episodes, it was like someone kept, people were asking me like about my choice not to have biological children. I'm like, oh, wow, we haven't covered that yet. We haven't talked about it. But it was just something that kept coming up in the comments, which then gives you ideas for even more creations. Yeah, where do you come up with your ideas apart from the comments? So it's a combination of things that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I'm always reading new books. I'm always watching stuff. I'm always listening to stuff. And 
looking at comments and seeing what people are struggling with. The way that I'm built in terms of DNA is I'm always trying to help and I love solving problems. So when I see um, kind of a recurring theme or a pattern around a particular notion, we also tap into um, our customer happiness team. So we respond virtually to every email that comes in. And I say virtually because like if someone writes some weird, crazy stuff, we're like, oh no, we're not going (laughs) to touch that. But every normal loving human that writes to us, we respond to. So the customer happiness team will surface things that keep coming up again and again. I pay attention to comments. And then what is also lighting me up in the world? What is your most popular comment? Most popular comment? Yeah, as in terms of like what is most frequent? I'd say it's around thanking me for being myself. That's amazing. Because it's strange. And sometimes it can war with the little voice in my head, which kind of almost like where we were at the top of the interview, like, oh, the title's so good. I just need the title. It's like not to diminish all the other words, <laughs> right, that are in the book, where it's funny because sometimes people will be like, thank you for being your goofy, strange, quirky self. And that almost feels like it gives people all that they need outside of what I'm actually saying, if that makes any kind of sense. And I've I'm kind of fine with that because I'm having so much fun and I'm enjoying what we're creating and the desire is for it to serve. So whatever piece actually serves for someone, I'm like, God bless. (laughs) It's good. I mean, one of our favorite questions to ask is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? But I mean, that's... that's, that's... It is. (laughs) But we can talk about another piece of advice. Yeah, what's the second piece? Yeah, what's 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 the the second second best piece of advice? I'll tell you, it's um, for anyone who is a creative who also wants to have a relationship that works. It's not a bit of advice, but it's actually a toolkit and it's a body of work that I would recommend. Because I think one of the challenging things being a creative, at least for me, you know, I can get really involved in my work and I love it so much and I can be engrossed in it where, you know, 20 hours can go by and thank God for Josh. Like you need to eat, you need water. But the downside of that can be um, challenges in relationships where you're not giving your significant other or anyone uh, the attention and love that they deserve. And that can create some ripples, which in a negative way will impact both your relationship, your happiness and your creativity. And so I would highly recommend the work of Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. So Harville wrote a book back in the day called Getting the Love You Want, and they teach this tool for communication. It's called the Imago Dialogue, and I will tell you guys, it is transformative. I feel like every human on the planet should learn this, and I know this is a little offbeat and not what's expected, but for anyone listening, if you ever find yourself in a relationship challenge and you're like, goodness, how do we figure this one out? I would say go research the tools and the work of Helen um, Hunt and Harville Hendricks. It is the best I've ever found. And I've done a lot of things. Amazing. What's next for you? Have you got like, have you got a 10 year plan? So no on the 10 year plan. I actually personally don't believe in them because I feel like right now the world changes so much and so quickly. And I'm also evolving so quickly that 10 years out almost feels unrealistic, if that makes sense. Interesting. What has been really exciting for me, so when we were thinking about launching this book and talking about how I wanted it to come out in the world, I had this really clear vision in my heart of something different. And here's what it looked like. I said, I wanted to do an event in New York City. Imagine if a Beyonce concert and a TED Talk had a baby and then threw a block party. That's what we're going to do. And so I'd never 
put on a concert before. I never performed in a concert before. I had no idea if this whole thing was actually going to work in reality. And so moving up to the launch of the book, besides all of the other things that are involved with launching any creative project, here we are taking on this huge, big thing that was an enormous investment in terms of finances, an enormous investment in terms of time with like no guarantee that it was going to come through. Anywho, we did it. And on September 9th, we had this amazing experience. It was sold out at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. We had the just, best venue. It's so gritty and it's dirty amazing. and awesome. <laughs> I think we it was had, a bingo hall many years ago. Was it? Yeah. I didn't even know that. But yeah. every like concert I've seen there has always been so badass. And I was so excited to be in this venue. And so we did this thing. And we had under 2,000 people come. There was people from 42 states and 21 countries that flew in. It was Phenomenal, And I will tell you guys, it was the scariest, most stressful, most fear-based thing I've ever done and the most creatively fulfilling. So when we're talking about what's next, after kind of I get through this next leg, you know, we're here in, in London right now. I go to Australia. There's a couple other things I need to do. But then I'm very excited to start looking at more ways to do similar things because it was legitimately I can't, I'm still on the high of that creative experience. So I'm, I'm looking towards figuring that next bit out. That's so exciting, especially for us, because I, I mean, it comes back to patience because we know that that's in our future is the, the world tour and all of that sort of stuff. Yes. But it's, we've got to get to your level before we're allowed to do that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's really exciting knowing that, that that's in the future, but yeah. with the weird, the we're sort of heading down that path and just yes. seeing, yeah, seeing how long it will take us to get there awesome. is amazing. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Absolutely. Wicked. Where can people find you online? So in terms of the book, everything is figureoutable.com. There are some additional resources and material that didn't make it into the book just due to the editing process. So we've got some fun stuff there. And then in terms of hundreds of Marie TV episodes and the Marie Forleo podcast, that's at marieforleo.com. So it's M-A-R-I-E-F-O-R-L-E-O.com. And also on the social channels, it's all at Marie Forleo. Amazing. I mean, our audience knows us and they know that we don't recommend anything unless we believe in it. Um, and we both we both genuinely love I've the book. I've so. bought this book twice, so, so should you. Oh, thank <laughs> so, you yeah, so thank much. You. Thank it's you for writing this book. It's been such an incredible conversation. And thank you guys for doing the work that you do. When I was just looking at all the stuff, like you guys are the embodiment of a multi-passionate creative and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. So thank you for being out there and for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.